Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast, Octopulse. I'm Mark Faulkner, assistant sports editor, and I'm joined, as always, by beat reporter Ted Colfin. We're back in the press box at Little Caesars Arena after recording our last show in downtown Detroit, the last show of 2019. And Ted, Happy New Year, Mark. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. 2020 looked a lot like 2019. <laughs> Friday, you were in Dallas, a 4-1 loss, and Jeff Blaschel said they made, quote, totally preventable mistakes. Sunday night, you were in Chicago for a 4-2 loss, and Blaschel called that, quote, unquote, stupid hockey. I thought it was. Yeah. yeah. I knew that was more a descriptive adjective there. Uh, pretty similar games, Mark. We, we've seen them all, all yeah. season. You take a quick lead, and then it's been mystifying the way this team has played. It's like you, you score one goal against them, you know you're going to score another against them, and probably another after that. They just lose focus or whatnot, and just the confidence isn't there. I mean, they played, out of those 120 yeah. minutes, they probably played pretty good hockey for maybe 40, 50 of those minutes, but... Let's face it. I mean, they just can't. They can't string three good periods together. Too many people trying to do too much by themselves. That was a real issue in the Dallas game. We'll see what the rest of the season holds here. Now that uh, Chicago game, the Wings were up two nothing. We'll take a quick look at what that stupid hockey kind of meant. NBC's Pierre Maguire said on the first goal, Robbie Fabry quit on the check he was back on the play and he was helping out but then he kind of roamed to the point and Dylan Strom came in for the goal and then 45 seconds later again the wings were back on the play Brendan Perlini instead of picking up a man he let defenseman Dylan Sakura sneak in and Sakura scored his first NHL goal that's a 2-2 game Perlini's been a big disappointment Mark and the respect that he's had a lot of chance, a lot of ice, decent ice time, especially at the start. Not as much here now. I mean, he's been a healthy scratch for a few games, but I tell you, he is not, he's a kid that may not, I mean, he's a restricted free agent at the end of the season. I could see them not extending a contract, I think. I mean, unless he really shows something here soon. Uh, just hasn't shown a lot of grit. I mean, still hasn't gotten a goal after 25 some odd games. You know, I mean, I, I, the mystifying thing is, is this is a kid that scored 12 goals in Chicago last year, and he had 15 or so in Arizona. So he has proven sure. he can score yeah. in the NHL, but he hasn't really, to be quite frank, I mean, there's been not a lot of instances where he's looked like an NHL player. He's more like an American League player, if nothing else. And, you know, by the numbers in that game against Chicago, they had a lot of good analytics. 42 hits, which is a lot. Six by Glenn Denning. Five by Patrick Nemeth. Abdulkader's big hit on Matthew Highmore led to the Nemeth shot tipped in by Glenn Denning. They had 21 blocked shots. Five by Philip Heronic, who had 25-25 of ice time. They won 52% of the faceoffs. Larkin went 9 of 16. They even scored a power play goal by Zadina. And after the game, Zadina talked about his progress this year. I'm trying to do my best, you know, to stay stay here as long as I can. And you know, it's obviously tough to play right now. You know, we're not we're not uh, you know producing some points as a team, so it's you know it's kind of like disappointing, disappointing, 
thing, but you know, we're trying to do our best. And as you can see, like the first period, we were we were doing you know lots of good stuff. But then uh, I don't know what happened. So it's game's changed a little bit. But you know, we tried, we tried, but you know, it's, it's tough to say right now. Well, we you know should have done better, but you know, it's it's hard. So Ted, there we have Sadina, who has ten points, five of them on the power play. You've seen some progress too, haven't you, from his game? You know what, Mark? I really have. I mean, I definitely in training camp, I was not impressed whatsoever. But I tell you what, since he's been brought up here, I can see the gradual improvement for sure. I know everybody, a lot of people have. A lot more confident with the puck. He's always had a great shot, but now it's a little bit more accurate, a little bit more dangerous. He's setting people up. Um, he deserves his spot in the lineup, let me tell you. I was a little, when they brought him up, I was a little even unsure about then, but uh, he's proven me wrong. I mean, he deserves a spot here. And from here on out, on out, I mean, you just hope he keeps on developing, becomes a solid NHL player, and he's got a chance too. Later on the podcast, we'll take an early look at the Frozen Four right here at Little Caesars Arena in April, the best college hockey teams. We'll hear from the coach of the number one ranked team in the country, Brad Berry of the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. But first, a different Red Wing story from Saturday night. Dylan Larkin was criticized by Hockey Night in Canada analyst Brian Burke because Larkin said he would rather rest than play in the NHL All-Star Game in St. Louis later this month. First of all, here's host David Amber setting things up with Brian Burke. Dylan Larkin, though, of the Red Wings, he raised a few highbrows with these comments about possibly being the last man in in the Atlantic Division. You still got a shot at it as uh, part of the last man in vote. What are your thoughts on that and the competition that surrounds it? Uh, yeah. Please don't vote. You have a Yeah, no, I like the days off more. So there's uh, great players in that group and, you know, uh, we have great fans, but um, you know what? Uh, uh, I'm sure there's, there's guys more deserving uh, to go, so uh, I'm fine with that. And uh, you know, yeah. Dylan, reaction? Well, I think it's stupid. Uh, this kid's a good kid. And he's a good player, but it's an honor to be part of the All-Star Weekend. It's a very important weekend for the National Hockey League and their sponsors and broadcast partners. You should get a speeding ticket on your way to the airport to fly to this game, Dylan Larkin, and you shouldn't scoff at it like that. A player acquires the right to turn this down, like Alexander Ovechkin, but that's after he played in about 12 or 15 of these, international hockey, all the other stuff he's done, all the playoffs. Once you've done that, you can say no to this game. Otherwise, if you're voted in, get on a plane and keep your mouth shut. Uh, what do you think, Steve Eisenman? If you were Steve Eisenman, what would you say on it? I'd have gone down and ripped his face off. That one of my players, I just said, "How can you be that dumb on a, in front of a camera? If you're going to be that stupid, do it off camera." Ted, you talked to Coach Jeff Blaschel about Larkin and how Blaschel backed Larkin about his work ethic. What do you make of the story? Much ado about nothing, or was there at least a little bit of truth to what Brian Burke was saying? Well, Mark, this is one of those rare. Things where you can definitely see strong sides on both from what both, both of them are saying or have said. In Larkin's case, look, nobody wants to play in the All-Star game. Everybody would rather have the weekend off, go to some warm weather climate and start your nine-day break or seven-day break, whatever it is. I mean, it's it's a necessary evil. What are you gonna do that All-Star game? You're doing a ton of interviews, a ton of work little obligations for the league and 
You'd much rather be with your teammates on and on beach somewhere. But then Brian Burke has a point too. I mean, right. Bella Larkin has not done enough in this league yet to pass. Just tell him thanks a lot, but no thanks. It's a I could. It's one of those cases you see you can see both sides. But I will say one thing, like Blaschel said today, you can't doubt Dylan Larkin's passion and love for hockey. I mean, this kid, he did go to the All-Star game a couple years ago. He loved it. I believe he was the fastest skater, yes. if I remember right, too. Yep. So, he, I mean, he's gone there once. Maybe he'll be voted in again this week. Who knows? But I, mean, you, I, I thought Brian Burke brought out the <laughs> knives a little too hard. But yeah. One of those cases where you, you could definitely see both sides. And for the record, Eisenman was selected 10 times for the All-Star Game. 1984, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 97, 99, and 2000. And 99, he didn't play. He was injured. I don't think they knew about load, load management at that point. No, though, no, Mark. not so at all. It's a different era now. It's a different era. Let's move on now to our Frozen Four preview with former NHL defenseman Brad Berry of the number one ranked North Dakota Fighting Hawks. You're listening to Octopulse taking the pulse of the Red Wings rebuild. Joining us now is Brad Berry, the coach of the number one ranked college hockey team in the country, the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here with you. We're here at the USA Hockey Arena in Plymouth, halfway through your season, and you're about to face USA Hockey's under 18 team with a national team development program but we're still three months away from the frozen four championships in detroit now four years ago brad you won one of these national championships the first coach to ever win the title in your first year as coach how difficult then is it to get into one of these frozen fours well uh, first of yeah. all college hockey it's very difficult yeah. to uh, obviously make the national tournament but then to make the frozen four and eventually win it is very tough but we had a really good group that year and you know I was an assistant coach for the three previous years on that on that North Dakota team so had a pretty good relationship with a lot of those players that were already there so uh, very fortunate to win it but we're, we want to we want to get back to Detroit this year and try to do it again. Now the format for the Frozen Four hockey version it's somewhat similar to the basketball March Madness yeah. version only 16 teams though make it in the hockey version, a yeah. total of 60 programs overall, 16 teams, six conference championships, six conference champions, so you could get in that way, but also 10 of the next best teams selected by a committee on Sunday, March 22nd. So how does that work? So what? it's a body of work of what you put in during okay. the year. So if you're the conference champion from your tournament, you get an automatic bid, and, and then there's at-large bids. And, and part of the at-large bid it goes in a – in, in the process of uh, being good in the pairwise rankings. The pairwise rankings is is kind of your your win-loss record, but it combines your home and road wins and losses, and it comes up with some solution that, uh, that, that, that puts the top teams in. And, you know, unfortunately for us, the last couple of years, we were just on the cusp. We were just on the outside looking in on uh, on that on that Sunday when they picked those those teams, so a lot goes into the pairwise rankings uh, of your conference wins and your non-conference wins and losses. Generally speaking, Brad, what kind of teams win these championships? Are they older teams in the March Madness? Sometimes it's yeah. teams with like solid point guards. Minnesota Duluth under Scott Sandlin, who's coaching one of your players, Shane Pinto, who has 
three goals in two games. Yeah. He's won two straight titles and trying to become the first team to three-peat since Michigan way back in 1951-53. How have they been able to win back-to-back? -back? Oh, I think his first year that he won, he had a lot yeah. of freshmen on the group, but I think it's having depth in your group. Uh, you know, guys, you know, having four lines and six defensemen and a goaltender that contribute on a nightly basis, not just having one line or one, one set of D that can can be leaned on you have to have some depth so you know i think he's had that the year we won it that's what we had uh you know had some very good depth you know you talk about older players we mm -hmm. were a very experienced team and uh, uh that year we won it last couple of years we've been rebuilding a little bit you know some of our younger guys are now upperclassmen they're more experienced and we feel we're back to where we are as far as having the depth and uh, and the experience in our group here the week of the uh, frozen four at little caesars brad thursday april 9th the semifinals. the final will be on saturday at 8 p.m we're told it's a bit of a national event though with a lot of fans who come in the hobie baker award is presented yep. that week can you tell our fans what that week will be like in Detroit? Yeah, it'll be an exciting week. Um, you know, it's spread out through four days where, uh, you know, teams will start coming in on a, on a Tuesday night. They'll practice on the Wednesday, have a have a, have a a practice day Wednesday. The semifinals, uh, the four teams will play against each other on the Thursday. Uh, the winners will move on to Saturday. And then on Friday, it's a day off. There'll be a practice day for the two teams that are moving on. But after the practice, they have the Hobie Baker Award, and I think they have the Mike Richter Award for the top goaltender, too. Um, and then on Saturday, culminates with the uh, national championship game. So it's really a, a great week in the fact that a lot of things are going on. College hockey has grown ex exponentially. Yeah. Um, you know, I know our group, they travel everywhere. We have a you know big contingent of fans that travel with us, uh, conference, non-conference. And if we were fortunate enough to get to this Frozen Four, there'd be a ton of black, uh, green, and white uh, sweaters in the, in the stands. Tell us a bit then, Brad, about the uh, improvement of of college hockey. You were a player at North Dakota as well. Last year in the NHL draft, 11 players, 11 Americans were taken, including eight from this national team development yeah. program. Tell us a little bit about the style of hockey, the quality of hockey that fans will see compared to even when you played uh, back in the, in the 1980s. Yeah, the game has changed, transformed so much. Uh, I, I, you know, skating is the sure. biggest thing right now. Uh, players, you know, in, in order to be effective or try to get to the NHL level, you have to be an elite skater. And, uh, you know, I, I think the premium is on, on, on players that can, can not only uh, skate fast, but have great agility is, that can turn on a dime, that can make plays uh, in, in small areas. And again, uh, the other part, too, is the skill part of it. Uh, you know, back then, you know, it was kind of a north-south game. It still is to a certain point. But mostly it's, it's skill now, guys that can make plays, guys that can finish plays and score goals. It's, it's become a very offensive game right now, and, and not only from the forward standpoint, but the defensemen. Defensemen have to be able to contribute offensively. And finally, three quick local yep. connections, starting with the defenseman. The Red Wings drafted a player who's coming uh, potentially here next year to North Dakota, is committed here. Cooper Moore, a defenseman, he's 6'1", playing in B.C., with Chilliwack, I believe the same team that Dennis Chilowski played yep. for. You recruited Cooper Moore, and it's still a long ways away, but could you tell our fans a bit about him? Well, Cooper Moore is yep. a, a very, very special player. You know, he's, he's a big body, skates extremely well, very smart, and he's very gifted offensively. Um, he's got great vision on the ice, sees the, sees the plays in front of him, has a great shot. You know, he, he's, he's got a lot of goals in the BCHL for a first-year player there. Um, you know, uh, got to see him a little bit out of prep hockey. You know, actually in, in uh, the USA camps in the summertime, he made those camps and identified him there and watched him through his prep hockey out east. And then finally, uh, you know, uh, the other part is I played in uh, with the Winnipeg Jets with a guy named Dave Ellett, who's uh, Cooper oh, Moore's uncle. 
uh, and uh, got to know Cooper a little bit through Dave, uh, and and he, he's eerily similar to the player of Dave Ellett's caliber, and Dave was a very good player in the NHL. So we're excited to have Cooper. Uh, he's doing very well in Chilliwack in the BCHL, and we're, we're looking forward to having him in our group. Dave Ellett, I remember watching him at the old Great Lakes Tournament, I think, Bowling Green. He might have scored an overtime goal or something way, way back then, but he was a very efficient defenseman for what it's worth. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, my freshman year in 83-84, uh, we, we went to the National Tournament in uh, Lake Placid in New York and we uh, Bowling Green was there they end Bowling Green ended up winning the national championship Dave Ellett Gary Galley uh, there was a lot of different players that were NHL players that were on that team for Bowling Green but him and I still remain friends and uh, we're, we're happy to have another generation of the Ellett family coming into North Dakota two more uh, questions with Michigan uh, connections you also played with uh, the Kalamazoo K-Wings yeah. Dallas Stars connection more than 200 games in the NHL. But tell us a bit about your Michigan connection, Brad. Yeah, you know what? Very, yeah. very fond memories of Michigan and Southwest Michigan and Kalamazoo. Uh, you know, I, I started my career in Winnipeg after I, I left college. I played eight years of pro hockey in, in Winnipeg. Then I ended up going to the minors in the Dallas organization as kind of a player assistant coach. That's how I got into coaching. I absolutely loved uh, mentoring players like Jamie Langerbrunner, Marty Turco, Brad Lukowicz. Players that came through Kalamazoo, uh, that my job was to help mentor those guys and get them ready for pro hockey. Raised a young family there and uh, have a lot, a lot of fond memories of Kalamazoo and, and Michigan. And finally, Brad, can you talk to us a bit about a former North Dakota player, former Red yeah. Wing, Greg Johnson, who died earlier this year at age 48. He's the all-time leading scorer in North Dakota history. Can you tell us a bit about your connection with Greg Johnson? Yeah, well, first, I, I didn't get, I wasn't fortunate enough to get the opportunity to play with Greg. I left to play pro before he, when he came into North Dakota. But he typifies what North Dakota hockey or what our culture is. He's, he's team first. He's, uh, he's a high character player, a person. Um, he always put him, put the, everybody else in front of him. Um, and, you know, he, he, he was just a, just a solid, solid person, and the fact that he was a captain of the National Predators was very impactful with the Detroit Red Wings, and, uh, and you win with players like that. He had, he had, he had uh, a lot of great ability as far as scoring goals and, and playing an offensive game, but he also defended very well too. Very good two-way player. And again, I think it was one of those guys that you love to have in the locker room because he really brought a team together, and he really made, he made the guys sitting next to each other better in the locker room. So. You know, we're going to sadly miss uh, miss Greg, but you know his memory lives on with us, and uh, he'll always be a part of our life. Finally, Brad, thanks for your time today, getting ready for this yeah. game against the under-18 team, and best of luck in your efforts to get under Detroit for that Frozen Four. Yeah, thanks again, Mark, and I uh, really appreciate you being here today, and uh, you know uh, we look forward to hopefully being here in, in April and seeing you again here uh, behind the bench in April. So, Ted, so much good hockey coming to the area on January 20th. The United States Hockey League's playing the under-18s. All the NHL teams will be there to look at the players. The United I think the States Frozen Four. League. I think the Frozen Four is going to be. It should four. be a great event. Hopefully, they'll sell a lot of tickets. Hopefully, this place will be filled. Uh, that's one of the best weekends of of the, of the hockey calendar. I mean, anybody who's ever attended one, I mean, it's just a great atmosphere. And having here in this rink, I mean, that's going to be fantastic. Hopefully. There's going to be some couple of really good, solid, top-notch team. Hopefully a lo local team or close to local. But yeah, anybody who's ever been to one, I mean, has raved. I've, I've, I've covered one, I believe, one or two. But it's a great atmosphere, and 
we'll have to do a show before that and bring Dave Garicki on for sure. Dave will oh, expound for sure yeah. on that, but that's going to be a great weekend of hockey. We should also quickly mention the World Juniors with Alexi Lafreniere, clearly the number one player on the ice, the MVP, 10 points in seven games. Joe Valeno played the most in the gold medal winning game against the Russians. He had six points in six games. Jared McIsaac, who was just traded to Moncton, he was plus four. Trevor Zegras, who was on our podcast, episode number 10, he had nine assists. Defenseman Rurit Sider had six assists in seven games. And Sweden's Jonathan Berggren had four assists as well to go with a goal. But I think the big story, Ted, was Lafreniere, how he could really help this rebuild, clearly, if the Red Wings were to win the lottery. I know a lot of people probably have, I mean, a lot of people consider him the number one pick at this point. Frankly, I haven't seen too much of him at all, but I mean, you'd like to see a player like that dominate in that tournament, and certainly it looked like he did. So, um, yeah, I mean, it'd be exciting, I would imagine. I mean, I guess I haven't seen too much of the kid, but they need an impact player, which which looks like he is, and they don't have any impact players like that. So, well, first off, they still have to get the number one draft pick, so that would that's a animal and a big animal in its own right. But we'll see what happens down the road. Looking at the upcoming uh, schedule, Ted, the uh, Senators are here on Friday, and then to wrap up the three-game homestand Sunday against Buffalo, then the Islanders on Tuesday, Pittsburgh a week from Friday. How does that schedule shape up? How are, how are you? Well, I just, you know what, this three-game homestand with Montreal, Ottawa, and Buffalo, boy, you'd like to see them at least get three points out of the possible six. I mean, Montreal's lost six in a row. Ottawa certainly isn't world beaters by any stretch. Buffalo is, in, you know, they've, they've played well, but I mean, he's still going to Buffalo Sabres, let's face it. You'd like to get, think they could get three points I mean, my goodness. I mean, if they don't, again, it's just another stretch of hockey where going forward, there's not a whole lot of potential victories, it looks like, on paper. So they need to make a little bit of hay here. But I know they just want to start playing better. That's the bottom line. I mean, that's become such a difficult task for them. They just want to play better. So, again, our next podcast will be January the 18th. Until then, you can follow Ted on Twitter during the game at Colfin. You can get all your Wings coverage at DetroitNews.com. That's Ted's daily coverage online and on Instagram. On Instagram right now is a photo gallery of Dylan Larkin's all-star appearance in 2016. Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter, plus, of course, our Grand Rapids report. So thanks for stopping by again, Ted. See you a week from Saturday. Sounds good, Mark. 